Going through verse 23, it's Matthew again, chapter 4, verse 12 through verse 23. Now when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, He departed to Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, He came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is by the sea, in the regions of Zebulun and Naphtali, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And upon those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea. For they were fishermen. Then he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother in the boat with Zebedee their father, mending their nets. He called them and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. This is the Word of God for the people of God. Praise God. Amen. You may be seated. I want to tell you that there's a, a lot of different stories happening in this one story. And in that very first verse that I read where it said that uh, Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he departed to Galilee, and he leaves Nazareth, which is south of Galilee, and heads toward the Sea of Galilee, this is the point where he meets the woman from Samaria at the well. So now you have kind of a historical reference of where Jesus is going and how He's getting there. He had to go through Samaria to avoid the people who were trying to attack Him. We'll get to that a little later. But I want to first of all tell you that I've, I've been doing some studying this week on some old sayings. Maybe you've not heard a whole lot of them, but have you ever heard this one? Man, that's sticking to me like a hair in a biscuit. <laughs> you ever heard that one? Yep. What about I'm feeling lower than a snake's belly in a wagon run? Yep. Heard that one? What about you can't tell him nothing? Yeah, you've heard those, huh? Maybe you've heard uh, this one. Pay him no, never mind. <laughs> Yeah, some folks not heard that one. That's more of a North Carolina, West Virginia type thing. And uh, it goes along with that other verse, kind of, or a saying kind of like that. It says, that don't make me no never mind. Some people say that and uh, people will give a strange look if they've never heard it or not sure the context. But today, with a sermon title called Never Mind, you might just think we're going to hear those phrases again in a different context. You would be right. We have a lot of different sayings. That dog won't hunt. You can't run with the big dog, stay on the front porch. 
Stitching time saves nine, but haste makes waste. We all have these things we say to try and encourage one another, according to what Confucius say, or Aesop, or Ben Franklin. I put a quote from Ben Franklin in my notes I thought was an interesting one um, about excuses. There are a lot of different things that people say. And I'm going to, this morning, help you to put some of these back in the vernacular of Jesus when He might have said some of these things. I know. He didn't. He didn't speak our idioms or our language, but they fit. And you'll see here in just a moment what I'm talking about. Now, I want to take you back, way back, way back before Jesus was baptized, before He was calling the disciples, before Jesus started out doing any heavy ministry, and share some things with you about a man, the forerunner, called John the Baptist. Now we know John the Baptist's story that he came eating locusts and wild honey and baptizing people, saying, repent, uh, the kingdom of God is at hand. We've heard that story. But did you know that he had a lot of followers? A lot of people who went around with him. We don't talk about disciples of John a whole lot, but they're mentioned. A couple of them you've heard before. One was Simon, who later became Simon Peter, the rock. Another one was his brother, Andrew. So we have two of the disciples of Jesus that were also disciples of John before they were disciples of Jesus. But, did you know there was another disciple of John that doesn't get a lot of airplay, but yet... There he was. His name was Jesus. Jesus was with John. Did you know that? They were cousins. <laughs> you would think that they would know each other, and they did. Even before either one was born, John was excited about Jesus inside uh, his mother's womb. And John came baptizing, preaching, and a lot of people began to come to him. John was not a liberal. John was a strict, conservative, by the book, by the law, do it God's way or don't talk to me kind of guy. Very strict. He challenged authority. He challenged soldiers who could have taken his life if they didn't like him. He challenged everybody. And people ate it up. His message was, I am not the Messiah, but He's coming and I'm opening the door for Him. He's coming soon, so get ready. And people wanted to hear that message. Now as Andrew and Simon were following John the Baptist, they learned who Jesus was. Because Jesus was there on the scene as well. As a matter of fact, you'll see John the Baptist was baptizing people in the Jordan and Jesus and some of the guys around Jesus were also helping with the baptisms. You see, this relationship that Jesus has with the men He called to be His disciples, a lot of times we put it out there that this is the first time He ever saw them. That would be a mistake. There's a history with Andrew and Simon. There's a history with some of the other guys that he's called. It is a small region and a lot of people know each other and have heard of each other. You wouldn't think that a man who is making his living would leave his living to follow a random stranger. 
that he knew nothing about. Why? Because in that culture, you just don't attach yourself to somebody you don't know. You don't connect in that culture with someone who's an outsider. You just don't do it. That would be called shame-based. A mistake socially. Now, if that person was an insider, then by all means. And it's interesting because we're going to see this morning that the Pharisees and Jesus were at odds. And the Pharisees were conspiring against Jesus all the time. But that's because in terms of the kingdom of God, the Pharisees and Jesus were not on the same page. They were an outside group in terms of the kingdom of God that Jesus was speaking. And they thought Jesus was an outside group because He was disrupting what they were trying to do. Now in this process, what we learn about that relationship is that the Pharisees and Jesus were also inside group in terms of protecting one another because they're from the same area. And we'll see in... uh, Uh, Luke chapter 13, when Herod decides he wants to capture Jesus, that the Pharisees come to him and say, get out and depart from here, for Herod wants to kill you. See, they're warning Jesus as an insider. If he's an outsider, they'll let Herod go ahead. And, And Jesus says to those Pharisees, who he hopes gets word back, go tell that old fox... I'm casting out demons, performing cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I shall be perfected, or I shall be complete. I shall have finished the job. You see, Jesus was also preaching the message that John the Baptist was speaking when He began to preach His earthly ministry, which was repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Did you know that that message, the kingdom of God is at hand, is still true. It sure is. Jesus is still God. He's still on the throne. And His salvation is still available right now. It's still at hand. Now Jesus, when He... Getting back to Andrew and Simon, we, we look at the stories there and He says to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they drop their nets, they leave their boats with everything behind, and they follow Him. And again, I would say to you that that statement, when they left everything to follow Him, was not a random, oh, here's some guy. (laughs) They knew Jesus. They also knew that Jesus was ready to begin His earthly ministry. These conversations are not recorded in Scripture, but what we know at this time is that John the Baptist has been put in prison. You see, John the Baptist was put in prison because he was a staunch conservative and he told Herod he was doing a no-no by marrying his brother's wife. She had divorced and he said, you still can't marry her. And Herod got mad and put him in prison. This is when Andrew and Simon no longer had anybody to follow. They went back fishing. When Jesus is crucified, they go back fishing. This is what fishermen do. They go back to the net. 
so when Jesus calls them, you understand that was a much deeper story than some random guy saying, I got something better than you fishing on that ocean or that Sea of Galilee. You should just follow me. There's a whole different story going on. Now, Jesus knew in that area that John had been arrested and put in prison. This is about the time Jesus had gone into the desert filled with the Holy Spirit, tempted by the devil. He was living in Nazareth at this time. John was a little bit east of there, about 30 miles or so at the Jordan, and Jesus had a home base there in Nazareth. When John was put in prison, Jesus also knew that the same people after John were after him, the Pharisees. So, Jesus said it's a good idea to move to Capernaum and make a new home base where they can't get me so quick. Because the Pharisees didn't travel through Samaria to get to Capernaum, they had to go around. But Jesus went through. And it even says in John 4, He must needs, in the King James, go through Samaria, which means He had to do something He didn't want to do. It was to save his skin, if you will, from the Pharisees who were looking for him and trying to stop this message of repent, the kingdom of God's at hand. Now, with that in mind then, he gets to Capernaum and he begins to preach the message. This is about the time he starts the water into wine, uh, raising a Jairus' daughter, all these different things, and his fame starts to spread. And, um, and he starts calling disciples. And he, I think when the disciples heard that Jesus was preaching the same message of John and being as conservative as he was with the Word, that they said, well, John's in prison because of that. Are you sure you want to do this? After all, it's the same Gospel that Herod was upset about. It was the same Gospel that Herodias, which is now Herod's wife, hated John for, for making him shamed by John. And Jesus, when was confronted by the disciples about that situation, Herod, John in prison, and they're saying, aren't you worried about Herod? Here's what I think Jesus said. All right, guys. We got a kingdom message here that needs to be pronounced. I'm going to do it. Herod, pay him no never mind. Don't pay any attention to Herod. That's what that means. Don't worry about Herod. He even says in that verse on the screen, he's just an old fox <laughs> trying to outwit. In another place, he said, the kingdom suffers violence and the violence take it by force. I used to wonder what that verse meant. It simply means that when you have the kingdom of God and someone's trying to snatch it away or pervert it or thwart it or the effort for it, that that person is not on God's side. God's people are not violent people. Especially when it comes to the kingdom. We offer it freely. We don't say, you must. We say, you should. So Jesus is saying about Herod, pay him no, never mind. You don't have to worry about Herod. We got a gospel that's bigger than Herod. And he starts getting a following. And this is a problem. Now you say, why is that a problem? Well, for Herod, especially Herod the Great, when he was placed in rule of that area, he was called the king of the Jews. 
Herod was. And when he heard about a little baby boy born around a certain time in Bethlehem that was supposed to be the king of the Jews, Herod said, I want to go see him and worship him. The same man who also had murdered his two sons who might take his throne because he was jealous of power in his own throne, sure, he's going to go worship that baby boy with a sword in hand. I'm sure of that. But do you notice when Jesus is out of the scene, Herod orders all baby boys to and under slaughtered. I'll show that there's no king of the Jews but me. That's what he was doing. Now comes Jesus getting a following, and here's Herod Antipas, not Herod the Great, but another Herod, who is also in an area of reign. Now Jesus is starting to get a following. The Pharisees aren't happy about it because it goes against the temple. And Herod's not happy about it because it's going against his authority. Jesus is starting to get people and they're trying to make him king. They're trying to put him in an establishment and overrun everything that's out there. This is another problem. And Jesus is saying, I didn't come for the kingdoms of this world to rule them. I came to rule a human heart. And so in Mark 3, we find that the Pharisees and Herodians are conspiring against Jesus. It says they went out and plotted against Him how they might destroy Him. They're trying to tear down Jesus. Do you understand what's going on here? In one circle, the Pharisees are Jesus' friends. But in terms of livelihood and power, they're friends with the Herodians. There are three. And one of the most important ones that we find about this time is Herodias. You say, who's Herodias? Well, that's Herod's wife, the one that John was upset about. And she doesn't like John. You may remember the story that her daughter danced before King Herod. He said, anything you want. And she asked her mother, what should I ask for? And she said, John's head on a charger. And King Herod didn't want to do that because he believed he was a prophet, that he was a man of God. Who else would stand up against a great king if he wasn't really a man of God? But he said, okay, do it. And they brought John's head on a charger. It was at that time that that situation, when John was killed, that Jesus was in earnest about spreading the news of the kingdom of God. Do you understand that Herod doesn't like another kingdom in his kingdom? And the Pharisees don't like someone else trying to discern the word of God besides them. Jesus has offended these people enough to want to murder him. He's not safe. Nowhere is he safe now. If they find him, they're going to try to detain him and find something to trap him in. And you see throughout the Gospels, the rest of the time, that they're trying to trap Jesus in something he says or something he does for a reason that they might um, capture him and arrest him. They never could. They finally arrested him on a trumped up charge. 
but they never could find something wrong with him. And so when the Pharisees and Herod went to conspire, here's how I think that conversation went. The Pharisees said, we'll try and find something and he's doing to break our law so that we can bring him to trial. And uh, Herod's probably going, well, my wife doesn't like this guy. I don't like this guy. Um, I'll tell you what. If you find something, I'll make sure something happens to him. You just make sure you get something worth living. Because I want him dead just as much as you do. And so that's when the Pharisees, they just, they just talked to Herod about how they don't want Jesus around anymore. He even says on the screen, they both try to destroy him, conspiring together. And they conspire with Herod. And then after conspiring with Herod, they come back to Jesus and say, hey, guess what? Herod's trying to kill you. Oh, no, not us. <laughs> We're not going to implicate ourselves. But yes, Herod is. Now, isn't that interesting? That when Jesus hears that, and He calls Herod a sly fox, He says, Basically, I'm not paying him no never mind. Why does he say that to the Pharisees? Where's he going to get back to Herod that he has now despised Herod's authority? That I'm going to do what I'm doing regardless of your threats. Hmm. 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 Herod, don't make me no never mind. Why are you guys conspiring with him? I'm sure he probably said that to them. Why are you talking to him? How did you know? <laughs> Unless you're in his war chambers with him. Oh, well, um, we're just trying to pretend we like him. So we can get word to you to protect you. Here's what they're really doing. They're playing both sides against Jesus. That's what the Pharisees are doing. You can see it real clear. See, they're, they're trying to destroy Jesus, but what they'd rather do is get rid of Him. In the passage in Luke, it says, you ought to leave this region. <laughs> Just get out of our territory. That's all we want. Herod's trying to kill you. Get out of his territory. That's all they're doing. Playing both sides against Jesus to make Him leave. And Jesus refuses to leave. He even says this. And this, this is why this verse out of context doesn't make any sense. He says, a prophet never dies outside of Jerusalem. I'm going to Jerusalem is what he tells them. He, they're saying, leave this region. And Jerusalem is the focal point where they both have their bases. Jesus says, I'm going to Jerusalem. They go, that's not what we warned you about doing. Go the other way. Stay in Capernaum, making noise up there. Jesus refuses that, doesn't he? He goes to Jerusalem, where he eventually is crucified on trial in the city and crucified outside the walls. Because he spread the gospel. Because he told people about heaven about a heavenly Father who loves them, about the Son of God who's giving Himself for them, for their salvation. 
all the authorities. Now get this. It's not like our society where it's the government saying keep this stuff out of the uh, limelight and separation of church and state. This was the church saying don't talk about God. Don't call Him Father. Don't say that all this stuff and tell us we're bad leaders of the church. It is the church that is going against the Son of God. Now think about that for a second. Those are some high stakes. If you can't speak the Word of God in church, where can you? If Father's house isn't a house of prayer, what kind of house is it? It's a house suffering violence. It means evil people have overrun it. If you can't come to church and pray, what can you do here? Of course you can pray here. By all means. We want you to. I want you to. So his stakes of speaking the gospel went against the governmental authority, the church authority, and a lot of their friends in high places. The stakes were Jesus' life versus the gospel. That was his choice. I can say the gospel and lose my life, or I can be quiet and prolong it. Oh, did you know we all have that exact same choice? You have that choice, I have that choice to proclaim the gospel and possibly create animosity or be silent and prolong the peace in your life. But I want to share something with you. Herod, who married Herodias, is dead. Did you know that? He died. He died way back when in the first century. He's no longer alive. Now, he may in, in the resurrection be alive, but he's no longer living on this earth as a person. That means for the span of however many years that he decided to break God's law and not repent was what he traded for eternity with God. That's 2,000 years ago or so that the man has died and he gave up eternity for a moment of sin. John the Baptist says, repent and be baptized. And Herod was not baptized. He was not repentive of his behavior. Hear this very carefully. We have a choice to repent and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, that He alone is a source of salvation and eternity with our Heavenly Father. Or we have the choice to enjoy this life and prolong it a little longer, doing whatever we're going to do, and ignore it, and then be done at the end of our time here on earth and waste the rest of eternity. Because we were refusing to repent and believe. The stakes are higher now to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. You might say, no, no, no. Jesus, it cost His life. 
I want to share with you, if you don't know that the stakes now are higher and greater than they were at the time of Jesus, you are not well paying attention to what's going on around the world. Maybe in this country you'll feel like rejection and people saying you can't do that. Maybe a little jail time if you promote godly principles. But in other countries, they don't ask questions. They just take your life. If you promote Jesus Christ or the Bible. The need is greater now. There's more people who are being duped and led astray by false religion, dreams and hopes and other types of things that are so easy to accept but don't make a bit of sense in terms of eternity. You know, you almost have to have some thick skin to not listen to those around us saying we shouldn't be talking like this. Talking about Jesus. Talking about salvation. Talking about free life and drinking His blood and eating His flesh. You know... We should have some thick skin, shouldn't we? To not be affected by that? That it doesn't bother you? Where I can say, I just don't pay them, no, never mind. I just keep doing what I'm doing for Jesus. Kind of hard to do, isn't it? Because the pressure gets harder the more you do it. And the more you do it, the violent try to snatch the kingdom from you. And it's sad. Jesus saw his cousin in prison. He said, the, the message got to go on now. And I've got to do it. The message has got to go on. I'm going to do it. It's time now. I know it's time. Because John isn't able to do it anymore. The door's been shut on him ushering me in. I've got to go do it now. That's what it says. From this point on, Jesus began to teach, preach, and heal. Preparing himself for what he knew would come because that's what people do in that time and day was destroy people who were against the status quo. He knew this. But he also said, I'm doing it. Because the gospel message has to go out. Send me. My father's pleased with me without having preached a word. He'll be more pleased when I preach it. Faithfully. And he wanted his father to be pleased with him. Yet for some reason in day and time like today, we allow other factions to do what we're being scorned for trying to do. As you know, other religions and faiths besides Christianity can speak and do whatever they want, but as soon as you bring up the Bible, they start chastising and saying, you're trying to press something on us. Did you know that? Why are the standards different? Because the kingdom of God is suffering from violent people who refuse to repent. And they need to hear that the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent! The same message Jesus was crucified for. That John was thrown in prison for. Do you think that being silent is safer and easier? Maybe it is. But you do so at your own peril. Ezekiel warns us that the blood of those who do nothing and do not tell about God or His mercy, the blood of those we do not tell 
will be on our hands. Oh, we say, that's Ezekiel, he's not talking to us. That's Old Testament. Right. Right. Believe that when you stand on the resurrection day and God says, did you not read about my prophet Ezekiel, what he said about the blood being on your hands? I wrote that. I'm not Old Testament God, I'm God. I'm God of what I was in and will be. My word did not change. Jesus said, acknowledge me before men and I will do the same before my Father. Don't acknowledge me and I won't. I won't even acknowledge that I knew you. So this morning I have a very important question for you. What do you believe? Do you think there will be a day of reckoning? Day of judgment? Do you pay talk like that? No, never mind. Oh, that's just stories. Truly, what do you believe in light of the facts of Scripture and how do you justify not being a representative of the Gospel to the people around you? How can you justify that? It's not safe. Fact done. Doesn't mean you have to be safe to do it. It means you have to risk for the kingdom of God. It means God's going to have to back you up. Which means when He does, you'll get more confidence to do greater things. Here's what I think the greatest tragedy in this world is. Is at the end of time, when we stand before Jesus, and He starts saying, so... Who'd you tell about me? Who'd you bring? What did you do with my gospel message? What was your mission on earth for me? And we started going, well, you know, Jesus, I, I saw my friends doing it, and they were the ones who were on fire. The preacher was doing it on Sunday. You know, they're the ones that are supposed to do that. And, uh, and so I let them. I didn't get in their way. And my friends around me, who they don't know, and never met, who you put in my path to give that word to, I, I didn't tell them. Because I thought you would send somebody else to them. And so when the gospel to my friends wasn't proclaimed by me, I was telling them it wasn't important. I didn't really love them enough to tell them. And Jesus is going to look at you and say this. You know, I love you. I really, really do. I gave my life for you. And I gave my life for your friends. And you said to your friends, Pat, no, never mind. Because you thought saving your own face was better. What he says after that is up to you. But here's what I want him to say to you. But then you changed. One day you repented of that mindset. And you said, God, whatever, whatever, wherever, send me. 
I know it's dangerous. I know people may not like me. There's already people who don't. Send me anyway. I'd rather be known for someone who preaches the Word of God and is a light to my friends and family who people don't like than rather than say I am a light that never was shining. People are going to pay you no never mind if you never show them something to see. And you'll walk through this life as a dark candle. I don't want that for you. Our 180 is turning from our self-focused measures to God. And God alone to run our life. So this morning I'm asking you not to say, well the preacher talked about, <laughs> I need to spread the word of God, but I didn't pay that and never mind. It didn't matter. I don't want to beat the air. I don't want to take this message where Jesus says, my, my cousin's in, in jail and I'm going to do the same thing. I know the risk. You know the risk. But you also know the reward. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, it's not always easy to hear your gospel planted in a way that challenges us. But Heavenly Father, right now I'm going to tell you I need to repent for 